Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today's Gospel picks up exactly where we left off, chapter 6 in John's Gospel. For the past three weeks, we have been reading from John's Gospel, chapter 6, the Bread of Life Discourse. And Jesus is teaching in a great deal of depth the importance of the Eucharist. Now, this passage for this weekend, you could say, is the culmination, the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching. And yet, it's probably the most shocking of all the scripture passages in the Bible. When the people heard what Jesus spoke, they were repulsed. They were repulsed intellectually, spiritually, and physically. And so why were they so disgusted about what Jesus said? Well, notice what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And so Jesus tells the people that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have eternal life. Now, if you are a first century Jew, hearing this for the very first time, you would be shocked. That's why it says, after they heard it, they started quarreling amongst themselves. Well, again, realize we, in the 21st century, have 2,000 years of theology about the Eucharist under our belt. So we know exactly what Jesus is talking about. What we celebrate every time we gather for Mass. We eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. But if you are in the first century with Jesus, hearing this for the first time, you would find this very unsettling. Even if you were a disciple of Jesus, and you found Jesus as a great spiritual leader. You found Jesus as an inspirational role model, that Jesus was at the center of your life. Yes, you made all these claims, and yet now you hear that you must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. Well, upon hearing that, I think all of us would find that somewhat troublesome and unsettling. Our first inclination would be, this is unnerving. More so for the Jews. We have to realize that this would be very repugnant for the Jews in the first century. Why? Because the Jews had a very strict prohibition, and you see this throughout the Old Testament, forbidding them from drinking the blood of animals or even eating the flesh of animals that contained the blood. I'll give you some examples. Genesis chapter 9. It says, every moving thing shall you find food, but you shall not eat the flesh of an animal that contains blood. How about Leviticus? It shall be a perpetual statue. You shall not drink the blood of an animal. Deuteronomy, you cannot eat the flesh of an animal with its blood, nor drink its blood. The Jews were directly forbidden 
from eating the flesh or even the blood of an animal. Now, why? Because in the ancient world, blood was symbolic of life, and God was the sole arbiter of life. And so, if the Jews drank the blood of an animal, they were sinning against God. And so, they were expressly forbidden to drink the blood of an animal. Therefore, what happens? Now, Jesus comes about, and he tells them to do just that, to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, for a Jew, a first century Jew, this was as religiously objectionable as you could imagine. And that's why they fought amongst each other when they first heard it. But what does Jesus do? Does he soften the message? Does he take it back? Does he water it down? Does he say, okay, I'm just talking in symbolic terms, not real terms? No, to the contrary. He turns it up a notch. He intensifies the message. He says, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life within you. And so, it's important to note the verb that Jesus uses to eat flesh. He uses the verb tragon. And remember, the Bible is originally written in Greek. And so, Jesus intentionally uses that word tragon. Now, what he should have used is the word phagon. Phagon is the verb that is used to describe how people eat. But he intentionally used tragon. Tragon is the verb that describes how an animal eats. An animal eats at gnawing at or ripping off of flesh. So with that in mind, bring that to the interpretation. Unless you gnaw at my flesh, you will not have eternal life. And so Jesus is intensifying the language. And this is why the Jews were so horrified by this. Again, if you are a first century Jew, hearing this for the first time, you would be shocked. This is radical teaching. And so what are we to make of this? Well, we, in the 21st century, with 2,000 years of theology under our belt, we, as authentic Catholics, we embrace these words. More to it, we resist all attempts to soften this language. We reaffirm our doctrine of the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and we honor these words. St. Thomas Aquinas once said, All of the sacraments except the Eucharist have the power of Christ operative in them. If you look at baptism, confession, marriage, confirmation, they all contain the power of Christ operative in them in order for them to be administered. But Thomas Aquinas would say, only in the Eucharist is ipse Christos, Christ himself present. That's why in the Eucharist we cannot say it is one sign amongst many, nor can we say in the Eucharist it's one inspirational symbol amongst many. No, in the Eucharist is the true presence of Christ. Christ himself is present. That's why the Eucharist is at the very heart and the center of our lives and the life of the church. John Paul II once wrote an encyclical called Eucharistica de Ecclesia, the Eucharist of our church. In that, John Paul II said, the church is from the Eucharist. The church is made by the Eucharist. 
The Eucharist is the lifeblood of the church. Now, what's the potential problem for 21st century Catholics? Well, it's the same problem of the first century Jews had, quarreling and walking away, walking away in disbelief, not believing in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And it's happening here and now. There was a Pew Research poll taken about four or five years ago of Catholics here in the United States. And it found out that two-thirds of all the Catholics here in the United States don't believe in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Now, it's interesting. That corresponds to the mass attendance. Two-thirds of the Catholics in the United States don't attend Mass on a regular basis. And that's probably why. Now, it begs the question, what happens at the time of the consecration when the bread and the wine are turned into the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Well, I think what we can do is turn to technical terms that the church uses. The church says that the substance of the bread and the wine changes into the substance of the body and blood of Christ. Now, we can't interpret this in a scientific or an empirical way. When the church says substance, it's defined as the reality or the essence. And so, the reality or the essence of the bread and the wine is transformed into the deepest reality of Jesus' body and blood. And that's what happens at the time of the consecration. So now it begs the question, how are we reassured that after the consecration, when you gaze upon the altar, we know that it is the body and blood that we're looking at? Well, it's because of the power of the Word of God. Go back to the story of creation in Genesis. How does God create the world, the universe, ourselves? God creates by His very Word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, Let the earth produce the animals of the earth, and they came forward. God said, Let us make man in our own image and likeness. By God's very own word, there is a creative power associated with it. Well, so too with the time of the consecration. At the altar, the priest, he stands in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. And he speaks the very words that Jesus spoke at the time of the Last Supper. And we know that as attested to by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul. And those words, the words of Jesus Christ, God, have a created power to change the substance of the bread and the wine into the substance, the deepest reality of Jesus Christ's body and blood. Now, this is the greatest teaching of our church. This teaching is at the very heart of our faith, and it's a radical teaching, nonetheless. Many have rejected it over the course of the centuries. More to it, this teaching of the Eucharist by Christ has been echoed throughout the centuries of our church. The apostles proclaimed it at the very beginning of our church. Our saints have written about it, about the glory of the Eucharist in their lives, in the life of the church. Our martyrs have died out of love and fidelity of the Eucharist. And every time we gather for Mass, we reaffirm with one faith and one voice our belief 
our love and devotion to the Eucharist, both now and forever. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.